Good morning. Happy Saturday, Sunday to everyone. Good to see you all. And we are studying the Srimad Bhagavatam, of course. <laughs> Canto 5. We're all the way up to uh, the end of chapter 24. And what I wanted to do was um, begin... Okay. Begin from by reading verses 19 to 28 about Bali Maharaj out loud. So let me get that on my computer here. And then we'll go back and look at uh, some of those purports. So Canto 5, chapter 24. I said 19, right? Yes. Okay. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Ajnana Tamarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya. Chakshurin Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namam. Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Sapitam Yena Putale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tatati Swapadantikam. Vanchakalpa Tarubhyas Chakripasandubhyavichap Titanam Bhavanebhya Vaishnavibhyodamunama Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gora Bhaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So we're going to read the Trishasi verses in English from 19... Until 28. To give us some background to these purports that we'll be studying. My dear King, Bali Maharaj donated all his possessions to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Bhamanadev. But one should certainly not conclude that he achieved his great worldly opulence in Bill of Swarga as a result of his charitable disposition. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is a source of life for all living entities, lives within everyone as a friendly supersoul. And under his direction, a living entity enjoys or suffers in the material world. Greatly appreciating the transcendental qualities of the Lord, Bali Maharaj offered everything at his lotus feet. His purpose, however, was not to gain anything material, but to become a pure devotee. So the reason there is sometimes people think, if I give in charity, I'll get ten times back or something like that. So that was not his purpose, to gain anything material. For a pure devotee, the door of liberation is automatically opened. One should not think that Bali Maharaj was given so much material opulence merely because of his charity. When one becomes a pure devotee in love, he may also be blessed with a good material position by the will of the Supreme Lord. However, one should not mistakenly think that the material opulence of a devotee is a result of his devotional service. The real result, or at least that's not the... Uh, uh, the fruit of devotional service. That, that may be better for us or another word to understand the word result. The real result or the real fruit of devotional service is the awakening of pure love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which continues under all circumstances. If one who is embarrassed by hunger or who falls down or stumbles chants the holy name of the Lord even once, willingly or unwillingly, we unwillingly, he is immediately freed from the reaction of all his past deeds. 
Karmis entangled in material activities face many difficulties in the practice of mystic yoga and other endeavors to achieve that same freedom. The Supreme Personality of God, who is situated in everyone's heart as a super soul, sells himself to his devotees, such as Narada Muni. In other words, the Lord gives pure love to such devotees and gives himself to those who love him purely. Great self-realized mystic yogis such as the four Kumaras also derive great transcendental bliss from realizing the super soul within themselves. The Supreme Personality of Godhead did not award his mercy to Bali Maharaj by giving him material happiness and opulence, for these make one forget loving service to the Lord. The result of material opulence is that one can no longer absorb his mind in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When the Supreme Personality of Godhead could see no other means of taking everything away from Bali Maharaj, the Lord adopted the trick of begging from him and took away all the three worlds. Thus only Bali Maharaj's body was left, but the Lord was still not satisfied. He arrested Bali Maharaj, bound him with the ropes of Varuna, and threw him in a cave in a mountain. Nonetheless, nevertheless, although all his property was taken and he was thrown into a cave, Bali Maharaj was such a great devotee that he spoke as follows. Alas, how pitiful it is for Indra, the king of heaven, that although he is very learned and powerful, and although he chose Brihaspati as his prime minister to instruct him, he is completely ignorant concerning spiritual advancement. Brihaspati is also unintelligent because he did not properly instruct his disciple Indra. Lord Bhavanadeva was standing at Indra's door, but King Indra, instead of begging him for an opportunity, to render transcendental loving service, engaging, engage him in asking me for alms to gain the three worlds for his sense gratification. Sovereignty over the three worlds is very insignificant because whatever material opulence one may possess lasts only for an age of Manu, and certainly not that long for us, which is but a tiny fraction of endless time. Ali Maharaj said, my grandfather, Prahlad Maharaj, is the only person who understood his own self-interest. Upon the death of Prahlad's father, Hiranyakashipu, Lord Deva wanted to offer Prahlad his father's kingdom and even wanted to grant him liberation from material bondage, but Prahlad accepted neither. Liberation and material opulence, he thought, are obstacles to devotional service, and therefore such a gift from the Supreme Personality of God is not actually his, is not his actual mercy. Consequently, Instead of accepting the results of karma and gan, Pallad Maharaj simply begged the Lord for engagement in the servant, in the service of his servant. Bali Maharaj said, persons like us who are still attached to material enjoyment, who are contaminated by the modes of material nature and who lack the mercy of the Supreme Personality of God, cannot follow the supreme path of Pallad Maharaj, the exalted devotee of the Lord. And then Sukadeva Goswami says, My dear king, how shall I glorify the character of Bali Maharaj, the supreme personality of Godhead, the master of the three worlds, who is most compassionate to his own devotee, stands with club in hand at Bali Maharaj's door. When Ravana, the powerful demon, came to gain victory over Bali Maharaj, Ramadadev kicked him a distance of 80,000 miles with his big toe. I shall explain the character and activities of Bali Maharaj later in the eighth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Okay, so wonderful, huh? Wonderful verses. So now we are going back to a very important uh, purport in text number. Whoops.
Okay, next one. Prabhupada writes, uh, first I'll read the translation again. If one who is embarrassed by hunger or who falls down or stumbles chants the holy name of the Lord even once, willingly or unwillingly, he is immediately freed from the reactions of his past deeds. Karmis entangled in material activities face many difficulties in the practice of mystic yoga and other endeavors to achieve that same freedom. Purport. It is not a fact that one has to offer his material possessions to the Supreme Personality of Godhead and be liberated before he can engage in devotional service. A devotee automatically attains liberation without separate endeavors. Ali Maharaj did not get back all his material possessions merely because his, of his charity to the Lord. One who becomes a devotee, free from material desires and motives, regards all opportunities, both material and spiritual, as benedictions from the Lord. And in this way, his service to the Lord is never hampered. Let me read that sentence again. It's so powerful. One who becomes a devotee, free from material desires and motives, regards all opportunities, material and spiritual, as benedictions from the Lord. And in this way, his service to the Lord is never hampered. Bhukti, material enjoyment, and mukti, liberation, are only byproducts of devotional service. A devotee need not work separately to attain mukti. Srila Bhibala Mangal Thakur says, Mukti Swayam uh, Mukulitanjali Sevate Sman. A pure devotee of the Lord does not have to endeavor separately from mukti because mukti is always ready to receive him. So, liberation is defined in different ways. Um, one flight, if we read a little bit further in this purport, it, in this regards, Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, these 11 verses describe Haridas Thakur's confirmation of the effect of chanting the holy name of the Lord. And the first um, verse says, Some say that by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one is freed from all the reactions of sinful life. And others say that by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one attains liberation from material bondage. So sometimes liberation is described as being freed from sinful reactions. Sometimes it's described as being free from the modes of material nature. Um, Srila Prabhupada really put a lot of emphasis on this second canto verse that you probably, if you've, we've, well, we've read many times, uh, Prabhupada's referring to it, and we've read the actual verse in the second canto. Uh, he would often quote this part, Muktir hitvanyata rupam swarupena vyavastiti. And that, that, so that has the word mukti in it, right, muktir. And it also has swarup, vyavastati, situated in swarup. So in um, Bhagavad Gita, in the fourth chapter, Prabhupada writes, when he quotes that, and then he says, liberation means to be situated in one's constitutional position. How? As eternal servant of Krishna. So here, and, and in many places, Prabhupada wants to make this point, mukti, real mukti, is being a servant of Krishna. Uh, another place in the third canto. Liberation entails being situated in one's own position. That is the definition of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Muktir hitvayita rupam swarupena vyavastati. This is, by the way, canto 2, chapter 10, verse 6. The swarup, or actual identity of the living entity, is described by Lord Chaitanya. 
Jivara Swarupahaya Krishna Nityadas. The real identity of the living entity is that he is the eternal servitor of the Supreme Lord. If someone is 100% engaged in the service of the Lord, he is to be understood as liberated. One must understand whether or not he is liberated. Listen to this sentence. One must understand whether or not he is liberated by his activities and devotional service, not by other symptoms. So this is very significant because mukti is not generally in India or people who have some familiarity with you know, some Sanskrit words or some Mayavada understanding. They, they think of it as um, Brahman realization at best or just freedom from... Uh, well, freedom from the modes, freedom from material existence or merging into the Supreme. And Prabhupada again and again is quoting this verse from the Chaitanya, from the, the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, what real mukti means for Vaishnava. And it was so common that many of us are familiar with the pastime when Sarvabhama Bhattacharya becomes a devotee. He was a Mayavadi and he was a great scholar. And then this verse that we've quoted many times, what is it, 10, 14, 8, I believe? That this verse talks about um, the mood of a great devotee and then says, And he had become such a great devotee that he wanted to change the word mukti to bhakti bhakti sadayabhak. And Lord Chaitanya found that interesting, but he didn't fully agree. This is in, let me see if I can find, Madhya 6262. Let me see, 6262. So, where is it? He's saying that he's taking shelter of the Lord. And... Zarabhama became an unalloyed devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who did not know anything but the service of the Lord. The Bhattacharya always chanted the holy name of Sri Krishna Chaitanya, son of Mother Sachi and reservoir of all good qualities. Indeed, chanting the holy name became his meditation. One day, Zarabhama Bhattacharya came before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and offered him obeisances and began to recite a verse. He began to quote one of Lord Brahma's prayers from Srimad Bhagavatam, but he changed two syllables at the end of the verse. The Bhattacharya said, and then he then he um, he quotes that verse uh, from the Srimad Bhagavatam. They said, but he says Bhakti Pade instead of Mukti Pade. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu immediately pointed out in that verse the word is Mukti Pade, but you have changed it to Bhakti Pade. What is your intention? Sarvabhauma replied. The awakening of pure love of Godhead, which is the result of devotional service, far surpasses liberation from material bondage. For those adverse to devotional service, merging into the Brahman effulgence is a kind of punishment. The impersonalists who do not accept the transcendental form of Lord Sri Krishna and the demons who are always engaged in blasphemy and fighting with him are punished by being merged into the Brahman effulgence. But that does not happen to persons engaged in devotional service. And he goes on to some more descriptions uh, about Mukti. And then Lord Chaitanya says, uh, the word Mukti Pade has another meaning. Mukti Pade directly refers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, Since I can understand Krishna according to these two meanings, what point is there in changing the verse? Sarvabhoma admits, I was not able to give that reading. 
Although your explanation is correct, it should not be used because there is ambiguity in the word mukti pade. And he goes on, and then he says, the very sound of the word mukti immediately induces fear and hate. But when I say bhakti, I naturally feel bliss within my mind. <laughs> and then the Lord laughed, and with great pleasure, he immediately embraced Sarvabhoma. <laughs> so that gives you some idea of uh, uh, this, idea, this point about uh, mukti. Okay, so any thoughts on mukti before we go on to the rest of the purport? Hare Krishna Prabhu, uh, it, it's interesting and also inspiring that not only the devotees, they don't want material opulences, they don't even want liberation, they just want to be engaged in loving devotional service to the Supreme Lord. The rest of the things they say like it's irrelevant. Yes, and the really amazing thing about it is we are engaged in that pure devotional service right now because we're hearing the Bhagavatam. So right now, we are liberated. Now, we may go do some things after the class. It's not so liberating. But uh, <laughs> that, what I mean to say by that is that the attainment of mukti, is, and we're going to hear about this uh, in the rest of this purport, is, um, is achievable, where it seems so hard to do for someone who's trying to become Brahman realized. It can be done by the most simple-hearted person. They approach things with love. And Subhanda has quoted a verse about uh, the liberate Jiva Mukta, the liberation of the soul. How to attain that through bhakti. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, I think sometimes these seemingly simple words are a stumbling block. Like uh, there was a guy, we had a Friday night kirtan. His name is Adam. His wife's Ashley. And uh, he does astrology, right? And then he has some kind of YouTube channel where people get on and ask him questions, right? And they ask questions like, what is enlightenment? That is a very hard question to answer. Yes. And, and so the, I think that I like, it really made me feel good to hear uh, Lord Chaitanya saying, well, just let's keep it simple, you know, because it's better that way. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> a, you're, and you're right. You know, one of the, by the way, one of the main causes of conflict in the world is when we define a word in different ways. Yeah, and so, yeah, you could have a whole great discussion about what is enlightenment, because it's, it's, it's defined differently in different traditions. Yeah, thank you for that. Also, there's that other sage, uh, they, they ask him about um, liberation, right? And he said, what is liberation? To the to person that asked him. And they said, well, I don't know. He said, well, if you don't know what it is, why do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we can say that. We say, uh, as uh, Sudanda points out in the verse, um, being engaged in Christian service is liberation, is enlightenment also, if we do it with love. So let's go, let's go on, because this verse goes on to other things. That's why I'm saying we're going to spend some time on this. Um, so there is a connection one might at first wonder what is the connection between the earlier part of the purport now all of this discussion about Nama Bas and the chanting of the Holy Name. That there is a connection. Uh, so Haridas 
He's saying, um, Haridas, however, said that the desired result of chanting the holy name is not that one is liberated from material bondage or freed from the reactions of sinful life, right? So those are two symptoms that most people connect with the word mukti, right? The actual result of chanting the holy name of the Lord is that one awakens his dormant Krishna consciousness, his loving service to the Lord. Haridas Thakur said that liberation and freedom from the reactions of sinful activities are only byproducts. That means, you know, just something that you just happen to get, right? You know, you open up a bank account, oh, and they also give you a toaster. <laughs> Whatever, it's just... Uh, are only byproducts of chanting the holy names of the Lord. If one chants the holy name of the Lord purely, he attains the platform of loving service to the Supreme Personality of God. In this regard, Haridas Thakur gives an example comparing the power of the holy name to sunshine. He placed the verse before all the learned scholars present, but the learned scholars asked him to state the purpose of the verse. Haridas Thakur said that as the sun begins to rise, it dissipates the darkness of night even before the sun is visible. I, I'm sure we've all seen that, right? Um, before the sunrise even takes place, the light of dawn destroys the fear of the dangers of the night, such as disturbances by thieves, ghosts, and rakshashas. And when the sunshine actually appears, one engages in his duties. Similarly, even before one's chanting of the holy name is pure, one is freed from all sinful reactions, and when he chants purely, he becomes a lover of Krishna. A devotee never accepts mukti, even if Krishna offers it. Mukti, freedom from all sinful reactions, is obtained even by nam abbas, or a glimpse of the light of the holy name before its full light is perfectly visible. The nam abbas stage, okay, now you know, we'll go on from there. Uh, okay, good. Um, so, a few things about this. I know I'm giving a lot of talks today, but it's just that it's such important things. Um, so, Namabas Nama is very powerful. Uh, in, in the Antilila, it says that after many millions upon millions of births, when one is complete in absolute knowledge, one still might not attain liberation. Yet, okay, so this was an argument that went on between, what was his name, Gopal Chakravarti? And Haridas. So he says, so Gopal says, after millions and upon millions of births, one, when one is complete in absolute knowledge, one still may not attain liberation. Yet this man, Haridas Thakur, says that one may attain it simply by awakening a, of a glimpse of the holy name. Haridas Thakur says, why are you doubtful? The revealed scriptures say that one can attain liberation simply by a glimpse of offense, offenseless chanting of the holy name. For a devotee who enjoys the transcendental bliss of devotional service, liberation is most insignificant. Therefore, pure devotees never desire to achieve liberation. Gopal Chakravarti said, If one is not liberated by Namabas, then you may be certain I shall cut off your nose. And Haridas was so offensive. And Haridas Thakur accepted the challenge offered by Gopal Chakravarti. If by Namabas liberation is not available, he said, Certainly I shall cut off my own nose. So namabas often means just trying, making a conscious effort to avoid the ten offenses while chanting. Just making just that effort is namabas, and one gets liberation. Uh, one well gets liberation. One achieves the result. That's not the purpose, but that's one of the results. 
So any thoughts on this idea of namabhas? Go ahead. It, it's it's very inspirational uh, message that Haridas Thakur, the namacharya of the holy names, he is saying that even even like a, a, a chanting on that uh, a reflection uh, stage, namabha stage, it's able to give liberation. Um, so as a practicing devotee, I don't need to worry about the the struggles that I am undergoing in the material existence. Uh, I want to get free from this material existence. I, I, all I can do is just pray to the holy name just to keep me engaged in the loving service of the Supreme Lord. So I don't need to worry about keeping a huge list of all these prayer items. <laughs> Which list? Very good. Very good. Yes. Now what I'd like to, I know I'm doing a lot of reading today. I'm sorry about that, but because it's so good, I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, I wanted to read a little bit, just a little bit from Sachinandan Swami book, uh, this book, The Living Name, because now he takes us to the next level, okay, that we shouldn't be satisfied with Namabhas. He says there is a difference between the real name and its shadow, because Namabhas is like the shadow, right? Just as there is a difference between the actual tasty meal on a plate and a projected image of one. Interesting example, right? You'd rather have the meal than what it is in a mirror, right? We can't actually eat from the latter. It is a shadow of the real thing leaving us hungry and as a result forcing us to go elsewhere to eat something real. It is the same with chanting. If we chant the shadow of the holy name, that is to chant without any conscious awareness of our relationship with Krishna. We also remain spiritually hungry, and as a result, we are drawn to taste the pleasures of the material world. Without the spirit of a holy name, we are forced to seek out material satisfaction and make unconscious compromises to our Krishna consciousness. I'm not sure if he's exactly equating the shadow with Namabhas, but still this is important. The tragedy is that this will is often done unconsciously, and we don't even know what we are really doing or what we're really missing. You might ask, why can't we just remain neutral and go on chanting the name of Krishna distractively without becoming materially motivated? The constitutional na- answer, the constitutional nature of the soul is to constantly gravitate towards enjoyment. We need enjoyment like we need water. Therefore, if we don't get spiritual enjoyment, we have no other choice but to look for a short-term illusory material enjoyment. Hence, it is absolutely essential to get spiritually nourished. If we don't, our hearts will feel immediately spiritually weak. This is an important signal we, we often miss and must urgently pay attention to. At a certain point in my life, I stopped all I was doing to look back on the years behind me. I was deeply disappointed because I couldn't... I could see that I had not made full use of the teachings of Krishna consciousness. I still had most of the symptoms of material consciousness. I needed to change something or felt I would die of frustration. It was then I began to a sincere inquiry into why my spiritual progress had come to a halt and how I could truly advance from where I was. And then he goes on to say that he, uh, he really focused on the holy name. So... So we, so even if we, let's say, okay, we're thinking, wow, I chant Namapas, I'm liberated. Woo-hoo. Um, that's actually not our goal. 
<laughs> That's also a byproduct in one sense. We pass through that stage, uh, and there's obviously there's not just namabas and pure. You know, there, it's a spectrum. But we do want to uh, really try to make our chanting full of bhakti and focused and concentrated, and make that effort. Okay. Any other? Any further thoughts on what we just heard? Yes, Prabhu. Go ahead, Mahamantra Prabhu. Uh, Prabhu, uh, on this topic, Ravinswarup Prabhu, Sugras Ravinswarup Prabhu spoke elaboratedly about Namabas chanting, but also he emphasizes prayer should be there hmm. because uh, you know, it could be anything. Please accept me, Krishna, you know. Otherwise, still it becomes uh, me centered. Mm. Nice. Namabas, though, you know, yes. He, he explained practically how to do it. Like, mind also should go Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But then, how about the emotions and feelings? So, those come from prayer. So, prayer is not excluded, uh, you know, and actually that's what he says, like, it advances further. From like a child's cry for his mother. Yes, true. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Other thoughts? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeev Tattudas. So again, uh, one of the aspects that we will cover in the next canto, uh, Ajamil's story, where he just called out Narayan, Narayan twice, when he was calling out for his son. So that was also referred by Shukdev Goswami as his offenseless chanting and he had been calling out Lord's name with affection and calling for his son and that purified him completely and all his sinful reactions were washed away. So that also glorifies that he was not doing Shuddhanam but even at Namabha so even unknowingly but with love not offensively chanting he was able to uh, attain the supreme mercy of the Lordship. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Shakshi, were you going to say something? It looked like you were leaning towards your computer. <laughs> yeah, th thank you, Prabhu. Um, actually, I was trying to get one clarification, Prabhu, that uh, not related to this topic uh, in the uh, about Bali Maharaj, about uh, Bilaswarga. Um, in the eighth verse, it says it's like uh, it's one of the uh, lower planets. It's a hellish type of planet, and it's good enjoyment for demons. But like after uh, after Bali Maharaj surrendered. Uh, why has been pushed to the, uh, you know, uh, below the planets and not have been given the higher planets? Um, so I'm I, not trying to deviate the topic, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sure the answer to that. Although we do read, <coughs> remember we read last chapter that the subterranean heavenly planets were more opulent than the uh, heavenly planets, right? Didn't we read that? But I can't, I can't say for uh, sure. Uh, one thing, Prabhu, um, Bali Maharaj is going to be the next Indra. Till that point of time, he has been sent down to the lower planetary systems. And not only that, the Supreme Lord is standing as a doorkeeper, serving his own devotee. So it's not like a punishment. He's being just in a waiting place until he can become the next Indra. Well, he's got really good association. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Yes. 
Thank you, Prabhu. So that was the doubt I had. So thank you very much. No problem. So this is such a wonderful purpose. So many important points, right? About the uh, about the word mukti, and about uh, and then connecting it to the holy name and namabas. Oh, very good. Okay, so let us carry on. So we're only going up to twenty-two, just two verses from where we were. Okay. And there it says, the Supreme Personality of Godhead did not award his mercy to Bali Maharaj by giving him material happiness and opulence. But these make one for, uh, for these make one forget loving service to the Lord. The result of material opulence is that one can no longer absorb his mind in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So listen to this. It's a very interesting purport. There are two kinds of opulence. Okay, that's easy enough. One which is a result of one's karma. That's material. Whereas the other is spiritual, a surrendered soul who fully depends upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead does not want material opulence for sense gratification. This is almost like autobiographical for Prabhupada. Certainly Prabhupada didn't want material opulence for his own enjoyment. Therefore, when a pure devotee is seen to possess exalted material opulence, it is not due to his karma. Okay, Rather, it is due to his bhakti. In other words, he is in that position because the Supreme Lord wants him to execute devotional service to him more easily and opulently. <clears throat> the special mercy of the Lord for the neophyte devotee is that he becomes materially poor. We know that. And Prabhupada would humbly say that about himself sometimes, <laughs> about his business collapsing in India. <clears throat> However, if an advanced devotee is favored by the Lord with opulence, it is not material opulence but a spiritual opportunity. Material opulence offered to the demigods causes forgetfulness of the Lord, but opulence was given to Bali Maharaj for continuing service of the Lord, which is free from any touch of Maya. So, one thing I, I glean out of this is that different, different conscious, the different levels of consciousness that a devotee has, um, the, the Lord reciprocates in different ways with that, and I think that's what we're seeing here. Okay. Uh, and we do know that it's not all yas yaham anagrinami harishetajananshanai that Krishna takes everything away from us. Krishna may give us everything also. Um, Prabhupada used to quote that verse about himself in his own humility. Um, and, but look at the opulence that Krishna gave him where he, you know, he could stay in, I don't know, any one of a hundred temples all over the world and thousands of disciples. You know, he had so much opulence uh, at the by the time he left this world, but all um, in Krishna's service. And I think our focus should be whatever we have, whether we have huge opulence or very little uh, opulence, we use whatever we have in Krishna's service. Um, so I'll, I'll read a part of this uh, purport from the fourth canto. So we read this before when we were studying the fourth canto. It is said by the Lord, The Lord told Yudhisthira Maharaj that his special favor is shown to his devotee when he takes away all the devotee's material opulences. Generally, therefore, it is experienced that Vaishnavas are not very opulent in the material sense. When a Vaishnava pure devotee tries to be material opulent and at the same time desires to serve the Supreme Lord, his devotional service is checked. Lord, in order to show him a special favor, destroys the so-called economic development and material opulences. Thus, the devotee being frustrated in his repeated attempts at economic development 
ultimately take shelter under the lotus feet of the Lord. This kind of action may also be accepted as Isha Vidvam Sitashishsam, whereby the Lord destroys one's material opulences but enriches one in spiritual understanding. In the course of our preaching work, we sometimes see that materialistic persons come to us and offer their obeisances to take blessings, which means they want more and more material opulence. If such material opulences are checked, such persons are no longer interested in offering obeisances to the devotees. <laughs> you know, like that story Prabhupada tells about being on the train in India and the uh, Indian businessmen come to him and say, you know, Swamiji, please give us your blessings. And he's with, you know, his uh, shaved head disciples in saffron clothes. And he says, points to them, he says, this is my blessing. And, oh, Swamiji, thank you. We have to go now. <laughs> uh, so Krishna doesn't have to take everything away from a devotee. Um, if, as, you know, so it, it could also be an impetus for us to want to focus on devotional service rather than, um, you know, material opulence in order to show off to, you know, our next door neighbors or things like that. If we don't have that foolishness, we know devotees can sometimes be, you know, comfortably situated. But if someone is really foolish and knows something about Krishna, but doesn't heed all of those instructions, Krishna may sometimes give him a little tap on the shoulder and, you know, uh, uh, correct him. Uh, and we see, again, in the biggest, the biggest example of that, of course, is Srila Prabhupada, who had nothing, came, came to America with nothing and ended up in, even if you wanted to look at it from a business point of view, uh, properties probably at that time, probably at least a half a billion dollars in properties at that time when he left after 11 years ago having 40 rupees in his pocket. Now, of course, that's not the way we judge Prabhupada or what he did, obviously. <laughs> and he never thought it was his and all that sort of stuff, right? But I'm just saying, if we even look at it from that point of view, Krishna decided to give him all kinds of opulences. Some thoughts on this? One thought came to my mind, Prabhu, about the, the pastime of Bali Maharaj. Um, normally, like uh, the discussion comes up about uh, living in this material world and doing our duty and then remembering Krishna and practicing devotional service. But Bali Maharaj's life exactly mirrors that scenario. He was born in a demoniac family and he had to do his duty and lead the asuras against the war with Indra, but he was not attached to becoming uh, and enjoying the opulence of all the uh, three worlds, but he just did it as his duty. But when the Supreme Lord came and took away all his opulence, he, even when his spiritual master said no, he said, no, this is the Supreme Lord and you should be instructing me to offer everything to him. Rather, you are instructing me on the contrary. So I reject your instructions and reject you. And I am going to give up everything to him. Even if he is the Supreme Lord and he is going to take it up, I am ready to give it up. So he, he, he was fixed properly in uh, the consciousness of everything belonging to the Supreme Lord, even though he was still doing duty on the material platform. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Thank you for that. Other thoughts, comments? Yeah, I think uh, blessing is better than opulence. Yes. Because I, I looked it up 
And uh, you, let me see if I can look it up again. Yeah. And it, you can express it in, in four words, and one is and. God's favor and protection. God's right? favor and protection. So if you know you have that, what do you care? I mean, even you get thrown into hell, you say, I, you know that you're a favorite of God. I mean, that's, you don't need any material things. Yes, yes. And that's why Lord uh, Shiva was so amazed at Chitraketu. Narayana Parasave Nakutasranya Bidyati. Swarga Apavarga Narayakeshu. Apitulyasudarshan. Then he said, and what, you know, he just got cursed, right? He just got cursed to be a demon. And he just goes, oh, Mother Parvati, thank you so much. You're so kind. And Lord Shiva's like, what? And everybody says, what a mate. Well, so just what you just said. He said, one who's taking shelter of Narayan, one who's taking shelter of God. Swarga uh, apavarka narakeshu. Narakeshu means hell. Swarga uh, means heaven. And he says, it's the same for a devotee, who, like you said, who has the blessings. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go on to 26 then. 26. Ali Maharaj said, persons like us who are still attached to material enjoyment, who are contaminated by the modes of material nature and who lack the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, cannot follow the Supreme Path of Pallad Maharaj, the exalted devotee of the Lord. Purport. It is said for spiritual realization, one must follow great personalities like Lord, <coughs> Lord Brahma, Devarshi Narada, Lord Shiva, and Pallad Maharaj. The path of bhakti is not at all difficult if we follow in the footsteps of previous acharyas and authorities. But those who are too materially contaminated by the modes of material nature cannot follow them. Although Bali Maharaj was actually following the path of his grandfather, Pallad, because of his great humility, he thought that he was not. It is a characteristic of advanced Vaishnavas to follow the principles of bhakti that they think themselves, wait, I'm sorry, it is a characteristic of advanced Vaishnavas follow, <coughs> following the principles of bhakti that they think themselves ordinary human beings. This is not an artificial exhibition of humility. The Vaishnava sincerely thinks this way and therefore never admits his exalted position. So that's, uh, isn't that amazing? So <laughs> the greater you become as a devotee, the less you think you're a devotee. And the more willing you are to offer respect to others. It's like the exact opposite of the neophyte who wants to show off their devotional accomplishments. Right? So what a... Uh, um, it's really something to meditate on, isn't it? That great, great devotees, they're not just making a show, they're not just saying it because they're supposed to say that. They actually feel that way. They may, as in Prabhupada's case, come down to the Majjama level in order to uh, spread Krishna consciousness, but in their own hearts, they see everyone in, uh, as more qualified than them. So we can just imagine the, because you read this, <laughs> you read this and you say, why is he, uh, <coughs> why is Polymore saying this? But he's still attached to material enjoyment. I mean, that he doesn't have Krishna's mercy. 
and that he can't, you know, hold the candle up to his grandfather, Prahlad Maharaj. It's, uh, it's amazing consciousness, so different than the false egos of this world. So different. Any thoughts on this point? It's almost like a devotee is penalized. <laughs> he does think himself uh, or fall into that trap. Um, then he loses his, seems like he loses his favorite status or it gets diminished. It seems that way you're saying. Yeah. Um, because of these uh, injunctions and because that an, a, a great devotee or a pure devotee naturally uh, is so humble. But uh, someone who's aspiring <clears throat> but falls into the trap of, you know, I'm such a great soul, um, you know, I'm saving so many persons and they're relying on me for deliverance, etc., etc. Yeah. Yes. Uh, right. Or, or the opposite sometimes happens, right? We get this whole, like, into this whole low self-esteem kind of thing. You know, uh, Prabhu, I'm nothing. I am lower than the worm in stool. Right? And, and, and there's no realization everything, but it's just kind of like leads to depression. <laughs> so the point is, as Surenda has quoted from the Anjalila, a nice verse. Um, and it's also important to note that the Uttama, who has that Uttama Adhikari, uh, Bhagavad, who has that consciousness, they can't really deal with this world that much in one sense. They, they have to come down to the Madhyama platform like Prabhupada did to see that there's Krishna, uh, love Krishna, serve the devotees, give mercy to the innocent, avoid the envious. Right? Because if you, if, you, if you literally think everyone's a devotee except for me, what, what's going to be your impetus to uh, give them uh, Bhagavad Gita, for example? <laughs> They don't need it. I need it, right? So, whenever there's a relationship of love of God, its natural symptom is that a devotee does not think himself a devotee. Instead, he always thinks that he is not—he he does not even have a drop of love for Krishna. So. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Jiva uh, So, uh, reminds me of. Uh Shri Gaurakrishna Das Babaji Maharaj's example, because he had said that when he dies, you know, they should drag his body all over Navdweep and show what a non-devotee looks like. <laughs> so that's a humble position he was taking. And unfortunately, the Brahmanas on his death, they actually were thinking of dragging his body to show everyone. Who's not. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Maharaj, he had to intervene and said, no, he's in a humble state. He's highly elevated. You're a devotee of the Lord to reestablish his spiritual master's position and how he had taken that humble position of saying such a grave statement. Right, right. Thank you. All right, so let us go on to chapter 25, which is a short chapter, The Glories of Lord Ananta. I think it's 15 verses. So we'll read the verses for this one since it's not so much about the structure of the universe. Um, but we are studying verse number one. So, Sri Sukadeva Goswami said to Maharaj Pariksit, My dear king, approximately 240,000 miles beneath the planet Patala, 
There's another incarnation of the Supreme Personality of God, and he is the expansion of Lord Vishnu, known as Lord Ananta or Lord Samkarsana. He is always in the transcendental position, but because he is worshipped by Lord Shiva, the, the deity of Tamaguna or darkness, he is sometimes called Tamasi. Lord Ananta is the predominating deity of the material mode of ignorance, as well as the false ego of all conditioned souls. When a conditioned living entity thinks, I am the enjoyer of and this world is meant to be enjoyed by me. This conception of life is dictated to him by Sankarshan. Thus, the mundane conditioned soul thinks himself the Supreme Lord. Prabhupada writes, There is a class of men akin to Mayavadi philosophers who misinterpret the Aham Brahmasmi and Soham Vedic mantras to mean, I am the Supreme Brahman, and I am identical with the Lord. This kind of false conception in which one thinks himself the supreme enjoyer, is a kind of illusion. It is described elsewhere in Srimad Bhagavatam, Janasya Mahoyam Mahammameti. We studied that recently. And as explained in the above verse, Lord Sankarshan is the predominating deity of, the, of this false conception. So, um, so, um, sorry, that was funny. That was not meant to be a joke. Uh, Prabhupada writes that uh, there are two ways, this is in a lecture, well, he didn't write this, a lecture in 1972, there are two ways of advancing a spiritual culture. One by, <coughs> I saw something caught in my throat. One by the method of impersonalist philosophers and the other by devotional service. The impersonalist comes to the conclusion that he and the Supreme Spirit are one, whereas devotees or personalists realize the absolute truth, by understanding that because the absolute truth is the supreme predominator, and we living entities are predominated, our duty is to serve him. The Vedic conjunction says, Tatvamasi, you are the same. And Soham, I am the same. The impersonalist conception of these mantras is that the supreme lord of the absolute truth and the living entities are one. But from the devotee's point of view, these mantras assert that both the Supreme Lord and ourselves are of the same quality. In another place, Prophet says, they think Soham means I am supreme. But that is not possible. How you are supreme? If you are supreme, why you have become like cats and dogs? They say it is my Lila. But this is all nonsense. God's Lila, Krishna's Lila, is in Vrindavan. Why, should, uh, why he should come to make a Lila like cats and dogs? And one more use of the word uh, soham. Uh, Akila Rasamrita. This is from uh, a talk in Hyderabad, in 1976. So you have become all. You, so you can have all the rasas, and that is the origin of bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. In bhakti, that rasa you become is you become in the ocean of rasa. Rasa means like relationship. You're hankering after rasa. That is the Vedic injunction. Raso by saha. One who has got the rasa, then he gets the real ananda. That ananda chinmaya rasa expansion is Krishna's calves, cows, gopi friends, and cowherd boys, nanda, yashoda, so many. So to be Krishna conscious means to participate with these rasas. It is not dry. It is not dry. Like simply so hum, so hum, finished. So hum, they do not know the meaning. So hum means I belong to the same rasa. I am also eligible to enjoy the same rasa. Okay. So, Prabhupada uh, 
again, uh, defining the uh, idea of uh, rasa in a way that's somewhat uh, different than, I mean, uh, soham, the, the, the words, the saying soham in a way that's uh, different than a lot of people imagine it to be. So any thoughts on aham brahmasvi and soham? Of course, we say dasoham sometimes, right? I am your servant. Anyone meditate on soham when you were a child? Henry, did you meditate on soham a lot? I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't learn that in the Episcopal Church. Well, it literally means, right, I am the same, right? So means same, I am the same, or I am that. Sometimes I, I remember there was a uh, church we would drive by every day near the Detroit Temple, and uh, it said, thou art that, thou art that, thou art, or something like that, yeah. And so our distinction is just just that we are, thou art that same quality, Satchit Ananda. But thou art that servant, and therefore Dasoham is like a devotee's little way of changing that saying around. Well, you know, I knew in the religion classes that it was important, you know, and actually I even had a feeling that it was more important to me than anybody else in the room. Uh-huh. Uh, Still didn't understand what they were talking about. I just knew what was important, you know. Uh, <laughs> Got it. And Divyanam Prabhu says that, uh, that Deepak Chopra teaches meditation on so on, so, which would be fine if uh, he would be will if he was teaching it the same way uh, Prabhupada is teaching it. That probably that may not be the case. Yeah, but it is a uh, a mantra that one meditates on, just like uh, before I was a devotee, I, I got initiated into uh, transcendental meditation. And they give you, uh, that wasn't the, Soham wasn't the uh, mantra I had, but something similar to that. And you just repeat that for 20 minutes a day. Okay, should we go on to text five then? All right, so text two, Sukadeva Goswami continued, this great universe situated on one of Lord Anantadev's thousands of hoods appears like a white mustard seed. It is infinitesimal compared to the hood of Lord Ananta. So imagine how big this universe is. <laughs> Lord Ananta has thousands of hoods, and this appears like a white mustard seed. I don't know if white is different than a black mustard seed, uh, but anyway, it's very small. At the time of devastation, when Lord Anantadev desires to destroy the entire creation, he becomes slightly angry. Then, from behind his two eyebrows, appears three-eyed Rudra, carrying a trident. This Rudra, who is known as Sankarshan, is the embody embodiment of the eleven Rudras, or incarnations of Lord Shiva. He appears in order to devastate the entire creation. The pink transcendental toenails on the Lord's lotus feet are exactly like valuable gems polished to a mirror finish. When the unalloyed devotees and the leaders of the snakes offer their obeisance to the Lord Sankarshan, 
with great devotion, they become very joyful upon seeing their own beautiful faces reflected in his toenails. Their cheeks are decorated with glittering earrings and the beauty of their faces is extremely pleasing to see. Lord Ananta's arms are attractively long, beautifully decorated with bangles and completely spiritual. They are white and so they appear like silver columns. When the beautiful princesses of the serpent kings, hoping for the Lord's auspicious blessing, smear their arms with a guru pulp, sandalwood pulp, and kumkum, the touch of his limbs awakens lusty desires within them. Understanding their minds, the Lord looks at the princess, princesses with a merciful smile, and they become bashful, realizing that he knows their desires. Uh, then they smile beautifully and look upon the Lord's lotus face, which is beautified by reddish eyes rolling slightly from intoxication and delighted by the love of his devotees. A very interesting purport. When males and females touch each other's bodies, their lusty desires naturally awaken. It appears from this verse that there are similar sensations in spiritual bodies. Both Lord Ananta and the women giving him pleasure had spiritual bodies. Thus, all sensations original, thus, this is in very important sentence. Thus, all sensations originally exist in the spiritual body. This is confirmed in the Vedanta Sutra, Jamad Yasyayataha. What does that mean, Jamad Yasyayataha? The source of everything. Yes. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has commented in this connection that the word Adi means Adi Rasa, the original lusty feelings, which is born from the Supreme. However, spiritual lust and material lust are as completely different as gold and iron. So can you just, I think we talked about this like maybe a year ago. You, how different is gold and iron, right? If you could go out right now, and I don't know where you'd get it, uh, Home Depot or something, you just buy, you know, 100 pounds of iron you could pay with your credit card. And if that was somehow turned into gold, you'd never have to work another day in your life. Hundred Henry can do the calculation at the present market rate. How much a uh, hundred pounds of gold would be? It would be a lot of money. So that's the difference between iron and gold. Just to give you, you know, some idea that it, it would be astronomical amount of money at like nineteen hundred dollars an ounce or whatever. Um, it, it, you know, and uh, but iron, you know, iron you can find iron just loitering in the streets, you know, just thrown away someplace. So there's huge difference. And similarly, there's a huge difference between spiritual and material lust. Only one who is very highly elevated in spiritual realization can understand the lusty feelings engaged between Radha and Krishna or between Krishna and the damsels of Braj. Therefore, unless one is very experienced and advanced in spiritual realization, he is forbidden to discuss the lusty feelings of Krishna and the gopis. However, if one is a sincere and pure devotee, Material lust in his heart is completely vanquished as he discusses the lusty feeling, uh, feelings between Krishna and the gopis. And he makes quick spiritual progress in life. So, uh, one time Prabhupada in 1969, he was talking about the Back to Godhead magazine, and Hayagriva Prabhu had just written an article about the gopis. And Prabhupada says, uh, and so far the article Hayagriva written, it is very nice. It should be published. Yes, I have seen it. That means that we can make reference to the gopis? Prabhupada, oh, it is done. Gopis are boycotted? Satsutmarsh. No, gopis are not boycotted. 
Prabhupada, the policy should be that people may not understand the gopis like ordinary girls or like that. You should be careful to present the gopis. It does not mean that we shall not utter even the name gopis. We have taken vow to boycott the gopis? No. They are worshipful devotees. How can we avoid them? And then, uh, and then Satsumar. Um, what about writing down kissing the lips of Krishna? Prabhupada, no, that should, that we should avoid. That we should avoid. But that's not abominable according to time and circumstance. That thing I have described, the fact is fact. Just like when I am describing Krishna Leela, I'm writing Krishna's life. So I cannot give up that portion of his life when Krishna is actually kissing the gopis in the rasa dance. So that's what Raj. But that's in the books, not in public. Prabhupada, yes. So in such circumstances, of course, we can give. But as far as possible, very cautiously and very rarely we shall present. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life, we see that in public he never discussed about Krishna's lila with gopis. That was very confidential discussion amongst his own circle. Rai Ramananda Surup Damadar, like that. And that, and he inquired, even the learned scholar, he discussed about philosophy, that Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. But when there was a great devotee like Ramananda Roy, he, he relished gopis. I mean to say, intimate behavior with Krishna. So we should remember this, that public may misunderstand this. Therefore, we have to present these things cautiously, not very openly. They may misunderstand. But so far, this article is concerned. Oh, it is nicely written. That is quite in order. So this should be published. So, um, and there's a lot more I was thinking of reading, but uh, s- let's see. Some thoughts on this? So. so this point is uh, is very important that what we see in this world has its origins in its pure state in the spiritual world. So I'll read one thing about that. So Krishna wants to enjoy. The enjoy means these loving affairs between man and woman. That is a fact. That is not an artificial thing. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has explained Vedanta Sutra, Jamadhyasyayataha. He has said, Adi Ras, Rasyas Janma Yatra. Adi Ras, there are 12 kinds of Rasas, mellows. Of all of them, the Adi Ras. Adi Ras means the loving affairs between men and women. This is called Adiras, or the original Ras. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains, Jamad Yasya means the Adiras, loving affairs between men and women. That is from the Supreme Person. That's a fact. Unless the loving propensity is there in the Supreme, how can it be reflected? Because this is perverted reflection only. So there must be that origin. So Mayavadi philosophers, they cannot understand this. Because they have got bitter experience of this material world, they think to make zero or without any variety is the ultimate goal. Sunyavadi, nirvishesha sunyavadi. The sunyavadi with uh, impersonalism and voidism, they are the, of the same nature. The Buddhist philosopher, they say ultimately everything is zero. And the Mayavadi philosopher says not zero, but impersonal. But actually that is not the fact. There is everything, variety and personal. But because the philosopher with poor fundamental knowledge, they cannot understand, they make it zero or variety-less. That, that to clean, that to clear the idea, our Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami says that Radha Krishna Prema, loving affairs between Radha Krishna, it is a fact. 
It is not imagination. It is a fact. So it's a, that point about a perverted reflection and what we see in this world has its origin in the spiritual. Very, very uh, important point. Otherwise, there's so much personalism here and the spiritual world has something, that, the material world has something more than the spiritual world. There's no, there's no personalism. So what do you think? I think this thing about sex is even more mysterious than God. Uh, <laughs> it's almost a requirement if you're going to have a religion that they want to suppress sex and say, you know, it's not a good thing. And if they don't have that, it's not even a religion, you see. <laughs> like, like some of those crazy, uh, like like they have in Hollywood, what is that? Uh, uh, yeah, Scientology, they just make it up. And if they say sex is great, and say, well, that's not even really a religion, right? That that proves it, right? <laughs> I never thought of that before, uh, Andy. That's interesting. Yeah. But we have such a, uh, a deeper reason why, right? It, 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 because, under, I mean, ultimately, if you take that verb, what we just read, right? Ultimate, ultimately, understanding and appreciating and relishing Krishna's loving affairs with the gopis is so much more, it's the gold instead of the iron. So we don't just say, oh, it all sucks, it all stinks, eh, men and women, blah, 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 blah. No, we, we, we meditate on men and women, we meditate on Radharani and Krishna. Um, and therefore, and one who really understands that, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't take um, a lot of repression and uh, Prabhupada would sometimes say that a pure devotee thinks, well, actually, he quotes, I think I didn't read that whole thing. He quotes um, this verse from Jamunacharya, and who says, I mean, this is a radical verse, but if you think about the spiritual implications of it, it's amazing. That so long as I have been engaged in the service of Krishna, I am rendering more and more service and getting more spiritual pleasure. Since then, as soon as I think of sex life, I immediately spit upon the thought. I hate to think of it. So that, that comes naturally when one actually develops an appreciation for Radha and Krishna. It's not, uh, ultimately, it's not an artificial thing. But that's an interesting point that you can't have in a religion that doesn't poo-poo sex. Of course, Krishna says that I am sex life, which is not against religious principles. Yeah. But thank you for that. Thank you for that observation. I'll have to think about that one. Other thoughts on this Adi Rasa? It's a very important thing. There's, here's Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, one of our greatest acharyas, and he's commenting on the very first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam and immediately reading Rasa Lila. It's the first verse, Adi Rasa. And it's, so. Srila Prabhupada was listening to one of his lectures and he was describing the transcendentalist, impersonalist and personalist, the two kind of transcendentalist and identifying that uh, Bhakti Yoga is independent of Jnana and Karma Yoga and he referred to this that Bahunam Janvanamate Jnanvamam Prapadyate Vasudeva Sarvamati Samahatma Sudhulabha and he kind of like, you know, added additional uh, perception to it when he's explaining in this lecture. It's like even the Jnana Yogis, they have to go through many, many lifetimes to come to the level of Bhakta Yogi. Only then they can attain perfection. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very good, thank you. Other thoughts? We're also quiet today. It is having a that was an interesting quote by Yamunacharya. Um, Yamunacharya is one of the prominent Acharyas in the Sri Sampradaya line. Mm-hmm. And before he became a, a saintly personality, he was a king. Sure. So, uh, so that's why he could identify with that emotion and feelings and say like whenever I think about all those sensual pleasures, I, I dislike them because I am more attracted to serving the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord. So that's, that's a very nice meditation. Prabhupada many times quoted Yamunach, that verse of Yamunacharya when he was talking about this subject matter. Yeah. And it is interesting that some of our greatest authors had seemingly a more sensual uh, history, like uh, Bivala Mangal Thakur. Comes to my mind immediately. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Krishna Prabhuji. Yes. Uh, I was hearing uh, Radhanath Swami Maharaj, and he was saying that as you were saying, uh, the material nature is a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. So he was saying that whatever is highest in the spiritual world, in the material world, that becomes the lowest. So like in the spiritual world, the parakyaras is the highest. Um, and in the, in the material world, that becomes the lowest and most abominable. Right. And for those who aren't familiar, parakya means the uh, relationship with someone other than your um, wife or husband. Thank you. Yes, and whereas the gopis, they show their great devotion by leaving their families and running out in the middle of the night. They heard the flute of Krishna. Two more verses in this chapter, and then we we have only one more chapter in this canto, but it's a heavy chapter. It's about the uh, hellish planets. (laughs) So we're reading up until verse number eight. Lord Sankarshan is the ocean of unlimited spiritual qualities, and thus he is known as Anantadev. He is non-different from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. From, for the welfare of all living entities within the material world, he resides in his abode, restraining his anger and intolerance. Sri Sukadeva Goswami continued. The demigods, the demons, the Uragas, the serpentine demigods, the Siddhas, the Gandharvas, the Vidyadharas, and many highly elevated sages constantly offer prayers to the Lord. Because he is intoxicated, the Lord looks bewildered, and his eyes, appearing like flowers in full bloom, move to and fro. He pleases his personal associates, the head of the demigods, by the sweet vibrations and emanating from his mouth. Dressed in bluish garments and wearing a single earring, he holds a plow in his back on his back with his two beautiful and well constructed hands, appearing as white as the heavenly king. He wears a golden belt around his waist and a Vajayanti garland of ever fresh tulasi blossoms around his neck. Bees intoxicated by the honey like fragrance of the tulasi flowers hum very sweetly around the garland which thus becomes more and more beautiful. In this way, the Lord enjoys his very magnanimous pastimes. I guess those bees obviously don't stink. 
text 8, if persons who are very serious about being liberated from material life hear the glories of Ananta Dev from the mouth of a spiritual master in the chain of succession, and if they always meditate upon Sankarsana, the Lord ex- enters the core of their hearts, vanquishes all the dirty contamination of the material modes of nature, and cuts the pieces of the hard knot within the heart, which has been tied tightly since time immemorial by the desire to dominate material nature through fruit of activities. Narada Muni, the son of Lord Brahma, always glorifies Dev in his father's assembly. There he sings blissful verses of his own composition, accompanied by his stringent instrument for a celestial, uh, or a celestial singer known as Tumburu. And the purport probably says, none of these descriptions of Lord and Dev are imaginary. <clears throat> However, unless one hears them directly from a bona fide spiritual master in the line of the succession, one cannot understand them. And later it says, sometimes the supreme personality of God is described as Uttama Shloka, one who is praised in beautiful poetry. And finally, at the very end of the purport, this contamination being comes manifest in the form of lusty desires and greed for material possessions. As confirmed herein, unless one receives transcendental knowledge in the subsequent session, there is no question of his being purified of this contamination. So, so what gives us the impetus to overcome things like lust and greed? Like even in your life, let's say you, if, if some of you weren't uh, familiar with Krishna consciousness at some point in your life. Uh, so yeah, why would you say so we probably didn't have a real strong desire to check lust and greed? So what is it now that makes you want to do that? What, where did that impetus come from? Anyone? I, I am accountable to my spiritual master and the Guru Parampara because they have accepted me and I should hold myself responsible and accountable in my behavior. Okay, so your accountability was your impetus or is an impetus. Yep. Okay, what else? Understanding the purpose. Also enables us to understand and that the five factors for any action and Supreme Personality of Godhead, he is the ultimate uh, permitter and overseer, also enables us to realign ourselves. Okay, so you're getting, an, uh, that's a good one, you're getting, you understand the why, not just like somebody says, oh, it's not good, you know, but why would we want to give up lust? Why would we want to give up greed? What's the benefit? Very good. Anything else? To attain a higher taste and more eternal um, bliss than short-term enjoyment. To attain a higher taste and more eternal bliss. Okay, so for the goal of, of our personal happiness, um, spiritual happiness. Okay, anyone else? Hare Krishna Prabhu, Anandrupa here. Yes. So more than anything for me, I think it is the, uh, the gratitude and the, the desire now to... As I'm learning to please Guru and Krishna. So, I mean, these two things actually, I think. Pleasure um, of Guru and Krishna. And Divya Nan Prabhu says, uh, grow spiritually and attain eternal service of the Lord. Okay, good. So that's, that's kind of what this, you know, this purport is um, saying that uh, it's, you know, the impetus comes from hearing from the spiritual master or hearing from, which means hearing from Shastra. So hearing 
is a big thing. Sometimes somebody may temporarily uh, want to give these things up when they experience, they had some bad experiences in the world about it, right? But the fixed desire would come from some like a higher taste, as Sugana was saying, where the or the spiritual goals, like many of you had said. Very good. And then I always uh, like to highlight this point that in the later in the purport, it's, uh, in the purport it says that Krishna, one of his names is Uttama Shloka, one is glorified by choice words. So I always took that, that when we're out speaking to other people, we should choose our words carefully. That's one way to look at it, right? Choose, choose our words in such a way that we give the person who's not yet interested in Krishna consciousness the greatest opportunity to be interested in Krishna consciousness. That's one thought that crossed my mind. And also in our own glorification, um, even when we're chanting Krishna's names, we, we know we don't have to choose the words. There's three words, Hare Krishna and Rama. But we'll choose how we chant them, as uh, Mahamantra Prabhu brought up earlier in the class. So I, I just thought that was always a nice thing. Uttama Shloka Gunanavarnam. One who's glorified with choice words. Sukadev Goswami, Vyasadev, Sutta Goswami, they're all choosing the words carefully in order to, uh, to glorify Krishna in the best way. So, and it says here, unless, uh, yeah, yes, however, unless one hears directly from Bonavite Spiritual Master and Linus, one cannot understand them. So we need to get knowledge through disciplic succession. Okay, anything else on this verse? One thing, Prabhu. Yes. The, the last sentence of the translation, Prabhupada is mentioning Tumburu as a stringed instrument as well as a celestial singer. Because ah. this is a, like a Veena-like instrument that is Tumburu, and then there is a celestial singer called Tumburu. In Valmiki Ramayan, in Aranyakanda, in the beginning itself, he is mentioned. He is cursed to become a demon called Virada. And Virada gets killed by Rama and is delivered. He goes back to the heavenly planets again. Acha, thank you for that. I was wondering about that one. Probably just put that in brackets. Okay. And Prabhupada is making a reference to both there very nicely. And these instruments are, when they're in the hands of a great devotee, they are special. Right? Uh, of course, Narada Muni's Veena, or even in, in those of us who are taking, studying the Gita get together, Arjuna's uh, Gandiva bow, very special. Or even when Vivala um, uh, Mangal Thakur, when he uh, did that to his eyes, um, Chintamani, his guru, <laughs> uh, her, all the strings of her Veena immediately broke. She was in Hardwar. He was near Braj. Um, but the Veena being like a, it was, it was her one possession that she had. She, um, and she knew something terrible had happened. She thought that he had left this world. Devala Mangal Thakur had left this world, but it was that he had lost his vision. Um, and all of the strings of her Veena broke. So, yeah, or and Balaram, you know, Murdangas are like a manifestation of Balaram. They should be uh, as much as practical, uh, not just put on the left on the floor. And some temples, we haven't done this yet, but in some temples they have special racks for the uh, Murdanga. 
things like that. So the cartels and redunda, the harmonium, anything is they they take on this uh, special quality. Uh, harmonium is a British instrument, but that got co-opted by uh, Vaishnavas. Also um, uh, in Islam, they use uh, harmoniums a lot. All the Sikhs use harmoniums. Hope I played them. So the last, oh, we only have four minutes. The last verse, let's see if we can get that in. Well, actually, I wanted to talk uh, a bit about the last verse because there's this, this famous uh, line from Bhaktivinoda Thakur's song. So why don't we save uh, verse 14? For What we'll do is we can read the verses up to 14. So verse number 9. By his glance, the Supreme Personality of God, it enables the modes of material nature to act as the causes of universal creation, maintenance, and destruction. The Supreme Soul is unlimited and beginningless, and although he is one, he is, has manifested himself in many forms. How can human society understand the ways of the Supreme? This manifestation of subtle and gross matter exists within the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Out of causeless mercy towards his devotees, he exhibits various forms which are all transcendental. The Supreme Lord is most liberal, and he possesses all mystic power. To conquer the minds of his devotees and give pleasures, pleasure to their hearts, he appears in different incarnations and manifests many pastimes. Even if he be, even if he be distressed or degraded, any person who chants the holy name of the Lord having heard it from a bona fide spiritual master, is immediately purified. Even if he chants the Lord's name jokingly or by chance, he and anyone who hears him are freed from all sins. How can anyone seeking disentanglement from the material touches avoid chanting the name of Lord Sheshan? Of whom, of whom else should one take shelter? Because the Lord is unlimited, no one can estimate his power. This entire universe, filled with its many great mountains, rivers, oceans, trees, and living entities, is resting just like an atom on one of his many thousands of hoods. Is there anyone, even with thousands of tongues, who can describe his glories? There is no end to the great and glorious qualities of that powerful Lord Anantadeh. Indeed, his prowess is unlimited. Though self-sufficient, he himself is the support of everything. He resides beneath the lower planetary systems and easily sustains the entire universe. My dear king, as I heard it from my spiritual master, I have fully described to you the creation of this material world according to the fruit of activities and desires of conditioned souls. Those conditioned souls who are full of material desires achieve various creation uh, situations in different planetary systems. And in this way, they live within this material creation. And we'll discuss this um, this first point, this uh, song by Bhaktivinoda Thakur um, in, in a little length uh, next week before we go to the next chapter. I'll just read verse uh, the last verse. My dear King, I have thus described how many, how people generally act according to their different desires. And as a result, get different types of bodies in higher or lower planets. Your inquiry of these things from me you inquired of these things from me, and I have explained to you whatever I have heard from authorities. What shall I speak of now? And then we're going to hear the last chapter of this canto, the description of the hellish planets. And I think it'll probably take two classes to cover that. It's, there's 40-some-odd uh, verses in that 
chapter. Whew. Okay, wonderful. We covered a lot today. Some really interesting topics also. So I hope you chant in Sudanam this week, pure love for Krishna, and uh, start getting our minds prepared for Radhastami, the most glorious uh, holiday of the year. And uh, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you all next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.